Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things, helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time and the girls at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This episode does not class as personal advice. It is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. People may also hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to The Numbers Game, episode 11, what we're coining as season two. You've got through our first 10 episodes, and here we are back for our second season, Popular Demand. Marty, Nick, welcome to the show, guys. How are we? Oh, very good. Thanks, Jason. Popular demand, really? Did we get that much feedback? We just said we're coming back. But there were seven I'm, people that said they wanted seven season two. Seven people. If it was five, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. So I'm excited. I think uh, I've been in good pre-season. We've been locked down in COVID. This is our first day out. So we're absolutely pumped. Nick, what have you been up to, buddy? Uh, not much, mate. Sitting at home for two weeks, working really hard. But um, now we've had obviously two false starts at this, so extremely happy. And um, just like to thank everyone for the support. We weren't sure if we we're going to do season two, but but here we are, proof of concept. So ready to go again. Mate, absolutely stoked, guys. On the warm up this week, I'm going to be talking about who the ATO is targeting in 2021 when it comes to tax returns. Marty, what do you got? Yeah, hopefully not me. Uh, budget, uh, budget, and tax cuts where that have been under the radar. We're going to talk about today, so I'm looking forward to that. Nick, uh, tax cuts. Well, I'm going to talk about uh, the Victorian government's land tax and stamp duty hikes and what that really means for everyday people in Victoria. And stick with us because this stuff flew under the radar and we really think it's things that you need to know they are going to make a big difference to your financial future. Let's play, guys. And it's back reading the play. Guys, we're going to talk about all the usual things that you need to know, interesting facts, industry insights, and just day-to-day finance topics. And uh, first up on reading the play this week, Nick, what have you got? Uh, Commonwealth Bank shares a couple of weeks ago hit $100 for the first time. Uh, I think as of yesterday, they were $101, today being the 11th of June. So I read a really cool story about a lady named Carol, and I wanted to bring you into this, Jace, because I want to have a quick chat about Super on on the back of this. But um, Carol was involved in the CBA float in 1991. So when CBA first listed on the stock exchange, Carol was a uh, was an employee at a CBA branch and worked herself up to being a CBA executive. So in 1991, when CBA first listed on the stock exchange, Carol bought some shares at four dollars seventy, which was a so four dollars seventy a share, which was a discount to the listed price at five dollars forty. Carol got the discount because she was a staff member. If you let's say you weren't Carol and you bought on the market that day at five dollars forty. Here we are 30 years later, nearly exactly 30 years later, and your return would have been excluding dividends 2,000% if you bought CBA shares on excluding open. Excluding dividends. Excluding, wow. excluding dividends. So Carol's rich. So Car- Well, not really, but Carol's done very well. Yep. Um, 2,000% sounds like a lot, but you've got to remember 100% is double. So yep. it doesn't take too much. Well, it takes a lot to get to 2,000, but it's not shit. What does that actually mean? So, um, so Carol... Back to Carol. So Carol has been consistently accumulating CBA shares over the last 30 years. 
um, as an employee, she she's had options to buy back in. She's reinvested her dividends. So now she has over 5,000 uh, CBA shares, which would be valued at over half a million dollars. Now, this is what the article said. I'm tipping, tipping Carol probably had a lot more than that. Um, maybe she didn't want to give across her whole wealth. So where I'm going with this is Carol, who is, I'm going to assume, maybe 60 now, maybe late 50s, getting close to retirement. She's got all these CBA stocks that she's made 2,000% um, from a gain point of view. What is, what's going to happen there capital gains-wise? Carol's very close to retirement, and we see this a lot. People have bought shares, made a lot of money, um, need to sell down, but when do they sell? How do they trigger down the sale um, and retirement? Or how do they get that timing right to reduce their tax? Should people be thinking about buying shares in the superannuation environment because of the tax incentives that you can get when you do retire? So someone like Carol, um, there would be a lot of cases like that where she's nearly probably sitting at $400,000 gain, give or take, depending on when she bought the stock. So I think um, there's so many benefits to buying your shares in super. You should be across it, particularly if it's a long-term strategy. Uh, and don't just shrug it off because you feel like it's so far away. Understand the tax advantages you can get uh, by buying stuff in super. And maybe you can well, tell the, us about that. The dividends that she's been paid over all those years as well. I mean, because it was in her name rather than in the super fund, she's paying 45% tax on most of those dividends, less the franking credits. So there's a big chunk of money that's gone to the ATO for the last 20, 20 odd years. Well, she's a senior exec. So you've got to assume she's on a pretty high tax yeah. bracket, right? So she's, yeah. Losing yeah. definitely losing forty five or forty seven percent to the ATO, and then I mean the other thing as well is looking towards as you go towards retirement age, and this is where you probably get some some crazy good tax outcomes is the rollover into superannuation if you do have a capital gain. Um, you know if she sells before retirement age, doesn't do anything with the money and just puts it in her pocket, obviously on a four hundred thousand dollar gain, get a fifty percent discount on that because she's held it for more than twelve months. She's going to pay tax on two hundred thousand dollars profit. Basically, a hundred grand goes to the ATO, and the three hundred grand uh, of four hundred grand sits in her pocket. It's still, a lot of money to lose um, if you don't have to. So, the rollover into superannuation, which is probably something you do a lot with your clients, to yep, in specie transfer, um, it's just counted as a super contribution, and then they can sell down and pull income out at pretty much no tax once they're retired. So, yeah, it's the way to do it. Get advice. Hundred percent. You're in good hands, Carol. So, any Carols <laughs> out there? Or Charlie's. <laughs> Give us a call. I've been looking at something interesting um, this week in regards to coming off the budget where the government's brought out a family home guarantee or the recommendation for that. And I've been a big advocate for single parent loans for a long time. So they've come out with 10,000 spots available for four years. Um I don't know why we have to limit the spots. I think we've got one million single families out there in the market that uh, need support. So for 10,000 spots, I think that's a little bit low. I think we should just open it up like the first homeowners grant. Giving it grant. to 1% kind of seems like a bit of a, yeah, it's a, bit just of a, a spin and fluff for the, for the government to say, look, look at the good we're doing. And it's not until you read the fine line that you go, yeah. oh. Is it a marketing play or are we actually helping? So mm. I think that uh, I think we need to look at that. So the government will provide an 18% guarantee. So the single parent would obviously put in 2%, plus they have to cover the costs naturally as well. Um, and I think it's a good start, but I think we need to be more innovative because when you look at the numbers for a single parent to buy a decent home, it's it's a challenge in itself. There's no doubt about it. But if you're looking, even if they're on 75 grand gross, which is about 
4,888 a month they're bringing in, some family allowance with two kids, you're still only able to borrow 320 to 340. So unless you go out really regional in Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane, Perth, Not Adelaide. Not much of a home in Melbourne or Sydney. Correct, they? correct. So maybe we could think of innovation, like maybe the lenders can think about innovation like 40-year loan terms, mm. maybe interest only for the period until the youngest child uh, is 18 and then renegotiate the loan. I think there's got to be a lot of innovation that lenders need to work in with government here to really get families in in a stable position in these circumstances because the idea is to keep people in their homes and provide Mm. good environments for their kids. And I think, again, a great start to the conversation but let's go to that next level and give Australian families a nice, secure home and make it feasible because the average, like we know, the median price in Melbourne is now a million bucks. I think so what we you touched on there as there. well is really important. It's it's thinking beyond the short term and actually looking long Correct. term. Because, I mean, I think the, the stats are starting to come out that by 2023, the Reserve Bank's expecting to put interest rates up. So, again, if you start to think short term, let's put something in place now that people, single single families can get a home – but if we're not thinking long-term on how that works with all those little extra innovations, it's going to fall over pretty soon. Yeah, well, and, and I always think that there should be a better rate, a better interest rate on that. But I guess the problem is there's always offence and defence. They're thinking, well, now everyone's going to be going, hey, let's get divorced, good loan. So- <laughs> it just comes back to the government policy, which is really just to buy votes um, without understanding the logistics of what they're implementing. You know, it was the same when... Uh, you could contribute to super uh, for your first home uh, to for, for your deposit and get yeah. a tax deduction. They came out with that, but didn't really understand the logistics. None of the superannuation companies were ready. Didn't know how to how to report on that. And it's the same. If they had it went to the mortgage industry or the or the bank industry and worked out, well, what can a single person actually borrow Correct. on one income? Well, there's probably really no point doing this. There's another way we could do it. So frustrating but um this is what they continuously do yeah and i think it's um yeah there will be a fair way so let's not make it a pitch let's make it a realistic play Hmm. jason what do you got for us well this time of year phones start to go off the hook emails are coming in people want their 2021 tax returns done and they want it done as soon as possible now the ato come out at this time of year every year and kind of go this is the stuff that we're going after to try and put the fear of god into people So they've done it, they've released what they're going after, and it's basically the usual stuff they do every year. Uh, Work-related expenses, so, you know, your printing and stationery, your mobile phone, your internet, different things, you know, your tools of the trade. If you don't have receipts and you didn't genuinely spend that money, they're coming after that work-related expenses, which is D5. Rental deductions, if you've got a rental property, they changed a bunch of rules about what you can and can't claim on your rental property over the last couple of years. Over 10 years, they keep making changes. For example, travel, you know, you buy a rental property in the Gold Coast, you buy a flight to go and see your rental property. People used to claim this all the time. Travel, you cannot claim on your rental property anymore. Obviously, big one, they always talk about cryptocurrency and capital gains, whether that's shares, property, whatnot. So data collection from the ATO side is at an all-time high. Their computer processing power and everything's just through the roof. So if you've sold shares, sold a property or have crypto on an Australian exchange, they know about it. So it's being prepared for all of that. Now, I bring this up as a bit of a reading the play and, and, a, and a topic for people to listen to is a lot of people rush in and do their tax early July because they want their refund. The ATO is saying, please hold off until later in July 
when they have all their data matching loaded into your pre-fill. So your private health insurance, your interest on your bank accounts, any share trades or crypto trades, property sales. By the end of July, the HO will load that all into your pre-fill report on MyGov. And then they're like, okay, now do your tax return. Um, that aside, the other thing is they're talking big, big one is coming out of lockdown, as you said, Marty, everyone's been working from home. So calculating your working from home expenses is a big one because people are leaving money in the ATO's pocket. The ATO actually wants people to get back what they're entitled to. That's that's the aim of the game. And it's not a dollar more or a dollar less. You get back what you're meant to get. So keeping track of that. One more big one, which I think we're going to try and cover in a future episode, is fringe benefits tax for any business owners out there. So the ATO has a load of data on company cars now. So if you're putting through your company tax return and you're not putting in a fringe benefit tax line item on your tax return and you've got a company car in that company, ATO's got you flagged and they're going to be able to come after you eventually as they build on these resources. And a quick example of what that looks like is a common example of a building company. A director buys a $60,000 car for his wife and they claim it through the books, but because they don't keep a logbook or private use basically meant to pay fringe benefits tax. If this isn't handled correctly, it's an extra $15,000 of tax a year for having that car in the company. It's a big hit. Big yeah, hit. correct. So, Jace, are you saying that if you want to bend the rules, do it before the end of July, before the data comes through? Is, <laughs> is that where we're going with this? Or Definitely not, because what that causes is a big headache for guys like me <laughs> doing the returns. People rush in and they, like we've got customers that do it or clients that do it. They'll go, no, I need it. I need to get it in. I swear I've given you all the info. We go, are you sure? Because you've got to sign off on this more than I do. We both do. But And they go, no, 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 definitely all good. So they sign, they get their refund back and like six, seven, eight, nine, ten months later, they're getting an amended notice of assessment saying, hey, hey, you owe us money back. Here's your bill that you've got to pay us back. And people are going, oh, shit, why do I owe money back? And it's all, well, you sold a parcel of shares or you had bank interest that you didn't tell us about. And, you know, so it's just avoiding those problems by waiting an extra couple of weeks, or you've got to do harder homework to actually go through all your financial info and know that you've got it all ready to lodge. If you do lodge early July, it's not to say you can't book it in the first week of July, but be organized if you do. Yep. I think there's a big lesson in this too, in regards to how advanced technologies become, mm-hmm. as opposed to what was considered tax minimization before could possibly be tax avoidance. Yep. So don't bend the rules, do the right thing, report uh, fairly and correctly, and you'll be okay. That's it. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. Well, now we're looking at my favourite segment and, uh, you know, we all love winners, don't we? But what we really love is sometimes when there's losers and people losing it because we can learn so much more from it. And today, Nick is coming in with how the government's just slightly screwing us on stamp duty (laughs) and uh, he's going to talk a little bit more about that. Sorry, government. Nico. Uh, thanks, Marty. Yeah, I, w- I want to talk about the Vic government um, and the- Oh, well, they've screwed us. <laughs> we talked about this recent lockdown and billions of dollars in our economy wiped. Anyway, sorry. Look, our well, sponsorship from the Vic government is now well and truly- Are they sponsors of the show? I don't think I so. I don't know. They, they, okay. They're more than welcome to be. Come on. Yeah. Um, so, look, everyone knows that property is such a, a massive revenue generator for any government, um, but you know, particularly Victoria- uh, coming from a mortgage background, and Marty, you would attest to this, but uh, the Victorian government is um, our stamp duty rates are higher, whether it's New South Wales or Queensland, which is where we also do business. Victoria always pays a lot, pays a lot more stamp duty. But the latest budget has seen the government 
um, increased stamp duty, increased developer tax, and increased land tax. And this is obviously um, a play to uh, recoup some money from COVID, and you know they they need to get back in the black, so to speak. So. I just wanted to touch on who really who's the real loser out of these out of these changes, and I think I think what we need to understand is what what is the definition nowadays of wealth, and mm. when when the government come out with changes like this, it, it it appears like they're hurting the wealthy, or they like to sell it as if they're taking more from the wealthy. But I think the definition of wealth has changed, and. Um, I'm just going to go through these just to explain it. But the first one is the stamp duty increase on anything, any purchase above $2 million. So at the moment, if you purchase for $2 million, it's $110,000 in stamp duty. So that's a big hit on top of your $2 million. Um, what that will be now moving forward is on top of that 110, it'll be another 6.5% of the value above $2 million. So the thing I want to talk about there is $2 million sounds like a lot of money, but if you want to be within 20Ks of the Melbourne CBD and you're a young growing family and you want a little bit of grass for your kids to run around in, you don't get much change out of $2 million. Um, even if you push further out, you're looking at sort of $1.5 million for maybe 30Ks, 35Ks out of Melbourne. So what is the definition of an expensive property at the moment? And when you look at the median house price of Melbourne just hitting a million dollars, that's the medium house price. So that includes everything. But most young families now that we see are pushing up towards that $2 million mark. So wow. it just, you know, again, what is the definition of wealthy? Um, land tax. So 0.25% increase um, on an individual's land tax uh, if they have a value of property above $1.8 million and a 0.3% increase if they have a value of um, $3 million. Now, most investors, one or two properties, they're going to have values at $1.8 million. Three properties, they might have values of $3 million or a little bit more. Now, that that's not the wealthy. That's mum and dad investors. And in our business, most of those um, most of those investors will be leveraged. So they might have $1.8 million worth of property, but they might have $1.4 million worth of debt. So you know, there's $400 worth of um, net, net equity in there. Are they wealthy? I'm not sure they're wealthy. They're just trying to get ahead and just pro- trying to provide you know, a legacy for their for their kids. So again, it doesn't it, it doesn't hit the wealthy. It help it hits everyday Australians. The last one, which um, which I want to talk about, is de- developer tax. So developers will now get a fifty percent tax um, for any rezoning windfalls above half a million. So that's if you change a a land zoning from. Uh, well, basically not being able to develop, to develop, but being able to develop. Um, so developers in the past, I know some developers, I've worked with developers, continuously getting hit with more fees. Mm. Council all along the way, fee, 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 fee. And it's all. I'm not saying it's getting um, unprofitable for developers, but it's getting harder and harder. So if, you, if you're going to keep on putting costs yeah. to developers, what's going to happen? The, the, the consumer pays. The consumer they pays because, because the price time. goes up. So... I just really don't understand the mindset. Um, again, we spoke about it earlier today, but understand the logistics, understand what the ramifications of what you are doing. Um, it's got to be better ways to do it because the end consumer gets hurt. Mum and dad's trying to invest with land tax. Um, young families that want to spend $2 million on a property, more stamp duty. And first homeowners or, in, or, or, or investors that want to buy a new property or land, 
the price goes up because the, the developers are having their margin mm. squeezed. So it um, it's always a, and it puts a handbrake on innovation and the end consumer pays. And I think that's what's really frustrating. I look at it even from a company perspective, like they say, all right, the tax rate comes down to 26%, but now we're upping the super payments. So it's like, you know, we, we're giving you a benefit, but then we're taking it away again. But ultimately, that's a benefit to the employee. But then there might be other costs that have to be considered that doesn't allow wage growth. So it's, it's, it's again, you, you, you're always looking at that handbraking of innovation. And then, like you said, either an employee pays for it, a consumer pays for it. And we have to think up new innovative ways because we don't want to stop that. And the one thing I always know is people that are really entrepreneurial in their thinking and forward thinkers will find a way to utilize the system to advantage anyway. So it doesn't matter what handbrake ends up coming, there are new opportunities that are presented utilizing the new rules. So it's, yeah, but it always feels like people have to do that in order to overcome these types of issues. I love, and I, I, I know we're pivoting here, but I, I love you brought up the, the tax savings in, in inside a company because and Jace, you can probably talk to this better than I can, but I know with our business, our net profit is nowhere near what our wage bill is. That's our big. That's the biggest cost in our business. So, you know, we're looking at now, um, and it's great that we put people with um, money in people's super, but we're now looking at a one percent increase with superannuation across the biggest cost line in our business. Mm. Um, and it's going to be, oh, sorry, it's half a percent at the moment, but it's going to go up to twelve percent. Yeah, and then. The smallest line in our business, which is generally the net profit, we now save three and a half percent on that. So it's, you know, you sit yeah. down and do the maths and surely it's, the government did those I've maths. I've got some numbers for you, Nick, oh, to make we, that excellent. a reality. So on, and this is big, right? So you would need on a million dollars of wages to pay the extra superannuation is an extra $30,000 in super you got to pay. Yep. You would need to make $3 million profit with a 1% tax saving to, to save the same $30,000 you're spending. So unless you've got $3 million on your bottom line and you're paying a million dollars of wages, you're out of pocket. So the mm. extra super that we're going to be paying to employees and ourselves is going to cost you money. And the other thing that people probably don't consider as well is superannuation is a line item that goes back on your work cover remuneration. So you're also going to pay more work cover insurance yep. because we're giving more super to employees. So an average business, what would be a bit of a... On a percentage of revenue, what would wages be and what would net profit be generally? Uh, I know, I know very, it's industry broadly, dependent. but A third. Most most businesses we see, at least a third of what they get in revenue goes to wages bill. Yep. And then a third or you know, 10 to 20% is usually on the bottom line. There so a million dollars turnover, you're looking yep. at 300,000 in wages yep. and 100,000 to 200,000 in profit on the bottom line. Yep. So the bottom line is always, generally speaking, smaller than the wages bill that you're paying to, to generate that profit. So yeah, businesses are going to lose out, even though the, you know, again, the, the positive spin of the government is we're saving you tax, we're cutting tax rates, but yeah. then they kind of give you on one hand and take more don't, the other. Don't sell so, us a lemon and say it's a peach. We're not stupid, guys. <laughs> you know, we, we do these numbers and we know these numbers. And again, I've always been an advocate of saying, 
Why not simplify it if you had 26%, let's say 26 on the uh, company tax, and even for consumers and employees, if it was a if it was a tax-free threshold and then it was 26 cents across the board, mm. I guarantee everyone would go out there and make money instead of tax minimisation. No yeah. disrespect, Jason, but I think we'll still find ways to help people, obviously. But if it was even across the board, then it's this, the innovation is just to – just progress everyone, mm. and that's mm. what will happen. And it's, um, but that's again, it's a bugbear. But I yeah, think we can consider yeah. more more ways here. And yeah, it just it just hamstrings people. And you know, when do people um, get sick of it and move on? Like, mm. and I'm bringing this up because I've been reading into um, California. So there's a the Californian government sand? is huh? No, we pass sand. No, we pass sand, but. <laughs> Uh, high tax rates. So there, there's a huge inflow of people at the moment into Texas in in, in the US because of because of how liberal they are. Mm. Um, whereas the Californian government, high tax rates, um, everything but liberal. And you just wonder if at some stage, if we keep doing things like this in Victoria or wherever it might be, people will move away. It's happening. Look, it's yeah. happening. People well, when, are moving when Adelaide, to- When Adelaide becomes the, a better livable city than what Melbourne is, people are moving out of but, Melbourne but and this, Victoria. This That's- is happening in the regional burbs. They're up 17% on housing you know, values because people are going in there because they realise they can work from home. So the cost of living is slightly less. There's more of a community aspect. Mm. So now whether it all hybrids back into the capital cities in a couple of years based on, you know, we get through what we're getting through with COVID, might, that might be the case. But People are exploring those opportunities. Cost of living down, housing, you know, housing value slightly less, their dollar goes further. People mm. people want to put themselves in the best case scenario. So we need to provide an infrastructure that allows that anywhere. Hundred percent. Look, let's try, let's dive straight into it, right? So the, the main topic that we wanted to cover today outside of a, a broad general, you know, latest financial update and going through some of the things that obviously I feel like we've been very aggressive. Obviously, we're very we're a bit frustrated coming out of coming out of lockdown. Been, we're, we've been locked down. up. No. We're frustrated. The government's copping an absolute whack from us. Um, you know, we we wanted to talk about some of the latest stuff that flew under the radar and something that I want to share this quickly because and it, I don't even know if it fits in, but I'm going to make it fit Lighten in. Lighten it up, Lighten so, it up, Jason. ScoMo and Albanese. <laughs> really stuck in the government politics. today. It had to be politics. <laughs> so they came out and so the so we're talking stuff that flew under the radar. So the tax cuts. So I'm going to start with that, then we'll jump into stuff. So the tax cuts happened. They're talking about low middle income tax offset. There's some other tax offsets that ScoMo wants to bring out over the years. So the biggest winners of the tax cuts that ScoMo's announced, this is, I think, flew under the radar, are people that earn more than $200,000. They're the biggest beneficiaries of the tax cuts. So not the so the average income earner usually around sixty, seventy thousand. They didn't get a bigger tax cut to put more money in their pocket to pay their bills. The people earning two hundred thousand did. Now to put in perspective of numbers, only two percent of our country have an income tax assessment of more than two hundred and eleven thousand dollars. Three percent of more than one hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars. So this tax cut affects three percent of our our country are getting the biggest tax cut. And I think Scamo said something along the lines of the hardest working Australians that are out in the mines and in difficult areas of the country deserve this tax cut. I get it in a sense of what he's saying, but also the hardest working Australian that's out of the mind is also being paid in yeah. the top 3% yeah. of the countries for, for their effort. So anyway, that's that's kind of the start of uh, my little financial things. Um, another big one that I wanted to share just while I'm on a roll 
an example of um, the temporary full expense expensing measure. So I think back, you know, uh, earlier in the year, you heard about the hundred and fifty thousand dollar asset write off. Um, then before that, it was twenty five thousand. Before that, it was twenty thousand. The government just kind of keeps boosting it up. Now they've just scrapped the whole hundred and fifty thousand. They've put this temporary full expensing measure. So even if you spent a million dollars on a piece of new equipment, you write that baby off. So we had an example of a client that was looking at about one one point two million profit, but they'd bought a whole bunch of new equipment. So big capital expenses on the equipment to you know put machines out out on the road and whatnot. So they're going to be able to write off all of that income, and instead of having a three four hundred thousand dollar tax bill this year, they're going to pay zero tax. That frees up three or four hundred thousand dollars that they can put back into their business, put back into their employees' pockets, put back into the owners' pockets, and roll forward and continue to grow their business off the back of what was a relatively shit year with COVID and everything else going on. So I actually love that incentive. Yeah, that's, it, that's good. It, it incentivizes business to spend money. Number mm-hmm. one, and then the money they save on tax. They should really be spending that and reinvesting back in their business, which is good for everyone. Look, I'm a big fan of the government, so it's. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's. Uh, we changed our tune quickly. Uh, we're we're going to have a board meeting after this because uh, Marty needs a new car. That's right. That's right. But I think again, Fringe benefits tax. Watch out. Yeah, I, li- I like that. But the, again, I think one of the things also in business is that incentive is there, but relevancy yep. as well. Yeah, yep. don't go and buy equipment you don't need. Well, it doesn't advance the business. It's too, also so understanding be, it too. Yeah. We we had somebody went out and bought a hundred thousand dollar car, thinking that it was a hundred thousand dollar write off, but the car depreciation limit still applies. So it's like fifty nine thousand yeah. something. So you can only write off the limit of what a car can be written off. But if it was a truck for a hundred and eighty thousand, write that whole baby off. For example, so Dodge car, Ram. Ca- yeah, well, if it's a, a commercial truck or a car commercial vehicle, truck, carrying capacity, look into it, talk to your accountant, yeah. seek financial advice on this stuff And first. why that's good, because we know equipment and cars depreciate as soon as you drive them off the lot, but you're getting that that benefit, that 30% benefit back off that. So that's where it makes sense as well for even, I would think, tax planning and, and actually the value. So, yeah, great stuff. I wanted to – are you finished? Yeah. Well, no? yeah, yeah, I was going to throw this one to okay. you and yes. then, then I'll – I've got heaps, but you know, I'll share. I'll share. I'll share it around. Um, employee stock options. So across that. So effectively, in the past, um, when employees left, it was triggering capital gains. I think we you had an example of of basically how bad that was for some people. Yes. Um, yeah. I, well, I, think, I had one example, and you smashed my example. Out yeah. Of the past, so. Yeah. So I think it. Um, and you might correct me on this, but. There's different options, right? So it depends on what option the employer took. But uh, this particular particular case was a client of ours who had generated um, through stock options, been with the business for around 12 or 13 years, um, had half a million dollars in, in stock in that entity, which was listed. Now, it sounds like a lot of money, but this person was very good at what they did and that was part of their bonus. So they hadn't really got a bonus for, for 12, 12, 13 years. So um, they were made redundant and part of their redundancy package was they could take their stock with them, um, which was around half a million. So that stock was sitting in an employee or employer share scheme. When you, you, when you leave a business and you take that stock out of that scheme into your own personal name, you get taxed on that. So it's basically like a half a million dollar income. Um, mm-hmm. And this particular person was already earning good money because they were, they were in that job already at the top tax bracket. So basically they lose half of, of those stocks. Um, with some of those incentives, the other issue is those stocks don't vest mm. uh, or haven't vested, sorry. So 
you might have um, a stock that's going to vest in seven years. That's how a lot of these work. Okay, we'll give you the stock, but it vests in seven years' time. So we've had people that have walked away from the business with the stock. Stock hasn't vested yet, so they can't sell all of it, but they've got a tax debt. And this yep. particular person had a on half a million had a $185,000 tax debt that had to be paid. So, yep. yeah. That's the change. So that's, that's okay. the sweet spot. So they've changed the rule as to when you leave the stocks that haven't vested and you can't sell, you don't have to pay capital gains tax on that at the moment. So That to me is common sense. Correct. I, I couldn't. 100%. This was my first exposure, this particular client, and- I couldn't get my head around it. I was yeah. like, that makes no sense a, to me. A real simple example, we had a Qantas employee. Um, she had been given stocks as part of her package. They weren't vested. So I think it was something like you know, fifty to 100000 But this this is a um, family, mum, dad, not huge, not necessarily huge incomes, couple of kids, mortgage to pay. And when she was made redundant as part of the whole um, job, key, um, was it COVID, you know, yeah. all this stuff. And to be stung with a... a $30,000, $40,000 tax bill on shares that you couldn't even sell them to recoup that money. And the ATO is mm. coming after tax money for, for money you haven't got yet. Like it was, yeah. So it's a banana. So that is one positive change that throwing it back to a bit of positive spin on the government yep. now, that's a budget measure that probably flew under the radar for a lot of people that didn't understand, you know, that now they don't have to pay tax on those stocks that haven't vested yet if they do walk away from the business that they've been given options in. But yep. Good. Over to you, Nick. What, what do you have for us? Um, look, this wouldn't have flown under the radar with a lot of people, um, particularly the people that it affected. But I think a lot of our, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners are anywhere from 20 to 45 years old. So um, this one is more um, is more aimed at retirees. However, I think a lot of people my age have got parents that are retiring mm. that may or may not be aware of this stuff. They may or may not have a financial planner. Um, and yeah, these these sorts of things, or the thing I'm about to talk about, uh, the timing's very important. So you need to make a call when you trigger the event, otherwise you can miss the opportunity. So so basically, what I want to talk about is what's called the downsizer super contribution. So if you are um, someone who's selling their home in Melbourne or Sydney or Adelaide or Brisbane, wherever it is, generally you're sitting on a really um, healthy size, uh, healthy amount of equity. You might have paid $100,000 for the property 30 years ago. Now it's worth $1.5 million. So typically people would sell that house because it's big, four or five bedrooms, can't clean it and want to buy something smaller. Um, you have the ability, which a lot of people won't know, but to put up to 300000 per individual of your downsizer or sale proceeds into superannuation. So for a couple, that's $600,000. And there's, there's restrictions on getting money into super. So this is, a, this is one area where the government says, okay, we'll let you put, as a couple, 600000 into super, one lump sum. Now, 600000 into super for a, for a couple will generally set them up for, for their retirement, most, most of them. And particularly when we're looking at our parents, I'm 38 going on 39. So you know, my parents are in their 60s. They don't have the super balances that we're going to have because it wasn't always around. So it's a great incentive for people to boost their super. Um, traditionally, it was um, anyone age 65 onwards could do that. With the budget uh, changes, now anyone age 60 onwards can do that. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is because you have 90 days after the settlement of your owner-occupied home to get that money in. If you miss that date, you can't get that money in and it becomes a big issue. Um, the main reason being is if it's in your super and you retire and you move that money into pension phase, you can start pulling an income from that 
at no tax, with, with, with no tax. So it's really important to have it inside of the super environment. Um, you the, say somebody? Yeah, I want to say something because my dad, you know, Croatian, 80, 80 years of age, very sushi mango. He go, <laughs> he's uh, he's going, it's my house, and he's thinking of selling it, but in no way does he want his pension affected because <laughs> yep. he's worked his whole life to get that pension from the government. Yeah. So I go, how do I sell this to him? Because I think that's a great idea if he sells let's say for a million bucks and 300 mm. can go into his super, does that bump him up at a threshold where now he doesn't get his quite, 500 bucks? Yeah, quite quite possibly, but that money's got to go somewhere. And yep. for a lot of people, um, and, you know, your dad's European, so he's probably got enough money under the bed to last him for <laughs> 90 uh, until age 90. But for a lot of people, <laughs> for a lot of people that – their their home is going to form part of their retirement. They might sell for 1.5 and then they might need half a mil to go into a retirement place. It's a great idea. So mm. that 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 million dollars or whatever it is, that's going to support them. So whether your dad um, sells and puts it in a bank, it's still an asset, right? So yeah. it's, if he ever sells his property, that money's got to go somewhere and, and it's going to get collected into the asset test because the only thing that's not included in the asset test is your owner-occupied home. Yeah. But it becomes a problem. Like um, yeah, like your dad's property, for example, there'll come a time where he just can't he just can't maintain it. That's right. And he has to sell it. So that money's got to go somewhere. So into the super environment is a great idea, um, great tax incentive. And then second um, to that, you know, your money can still um, be earning whilst you're drawing an income from it. So, mm. but that 90 days post settlement yeah, is very that's important. Fantastic to know. I but- think just just on that, when you talk about your parents and or our listeners' parents, I think it's actually a really great conversation for 20, 30, 40 year olds to start having with their parents who may be on the verge of retirement age, just to go, Mum, Dad, do you have an understanding of what retirement looks like? What's yep. your income going to be? Have you got a financial planner or advisor? Like, Looking at my parents, friends, and and you know different people that I work with, quite a lot of the time between fifty and sixty five, they're still not working with an advisor or actually understanding what they're entitled to. And then it's when it's a few years into retirement, then you start looking to, well, I wonder what my pension will be, or you know, do I have to sell my home? So, I think there is a real lack of financial understanding and planning ahead, like mm-hmm. 10, 20 years out yep. and beyond. Yeah. Um. So listeners who are 20, 30, 40, don't be afraid to kind of start to open up that conversation with mum and dad um, and just start to get an understanding of, of how you guys can support each other. It's where most of our inquiry comes from. Um, people that are in their mid-50s or 60s just don't know what the next 30 years like. It wasn't, some a, yeah, wasn't a part of that generation. They, yep. they just didn't get advice yep. and, you know, the younger people coming through realise how important it is and, you know, they want to set themselves up by the time mm. they're 40, 45 in this day and age, which is great. That's fantastic. Mm. But they're certainly filtering that through uh, to the parents. Dad, your pension's okay too, by the <laughs> way. I don't want to scare you. The, um, not that you can listen to a podcast because you can't even get use a mobile phone. <laughs> yeah, n- not, not, not unless AM is streaming it. Um, <laughs> That's right. The, um, the other thing I want to talk about, which I think is a great incentive or a great scheme that the government's introduced, but it's a pension loan scheme. And I would, I would suggest that half, more than half of the population aren't aware of what this is. Um, but basically what's happened with the latest budget is the pension loan scheme, which I'll explain in a minute, um, now has a no negative equity guarantee. So the pension loan scheme works as a reverse mortgage. For anyone that knows what a reverse mortgage is, it's a bank lending um, 
elderly people money and then recouping that money when they pass away and recouping that money by selling their house and taking whatever was owed. Um, the government will now do that um, under a scheme that's called the pension loan scheme. So basically, you can increase your whatever your pension payments currently are, your fortnightly pension payments, you can int- uh, increase those up to 150% of what the actual payment is. And the government will take that, will lend that money to you uh, at an interest rate of 4.5%, which is a pretty good rate. And they will take that money back when you pass away by selling your house. Mm-hmm. So if your pension loan scheme, you've taken an extra $200,000 over a 20 year period, and they sell your house for 600,000, they would recoup that 200, and then the 400 balance would go to your estate. So it's a really good incentive. Like some people will look at that and go, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you chew up your equity? But, you know, there's so many stories, you know, you've got the old lady sitting at home that can't put her heater on, mm. but she's sitting on an asset worth a million dollars, but yep. she can't put a heater on because she doesn't want to pay the electricity. And you get those interviews on a current affair all the yep. time where she's yep. sitting there, you know, freezing and shivering yep. when, yeah, you got the million Now, as a, as, a, as a child <laughs> of that, um, of an elderly person, wouldn't you say, we don't need... We don't need a million dollars um, from an inheritance point of view. Chew up 100 of it. Chew up 200 of it. Go and have a good life. Travel. Do what you need to do. Um, the property will keep going up as long as it's in a decent area. So I think it's a really good um, incentive or scheme from the government. And the, and the latest thing with, with the budget is they guarantee uh, a no, inequitive, uh, no negative equity guarantee. So that means you Beautiful. can they'll never let you go beyond what the house is worth. So I'd say they're doing that internally by you know valuing your house and understanding how much they can give you on a fortnightly basis. But such a great concept, um, particularly considering most people in Australia are sitting on big asset values with not much cash flow. And, and loan to value ratio, it's usually fairly low anyway, so it's protecting the, the yeah, client yeah. anyway. It's, it's look, somewhere not, around 10, 15% in I'm not familiar reverse with mortgages. It, but it'd be low. It'd yeah. have to be. If they're going to put in there a no uh, negative equity guarantee, yeah. it'd be low. But again- most pensioners in our business, they can't afford, like if, if sorry, not they can't afford, they can't actually spend uh, what we give them. If they come into us with a big super balance, they just don't have the ability to spend it because they're not spending any money. So they won't need to take much. Um, yeah. The pension is very low. If they can take a little bit more, most people will be uh, will be more than okay. So that low, that low LVR generally works. Yeah, I think from a legacy legacy perspective, we want our parents to live the best life they can. And if it's a financial battle just to release some cash flow, but they're sitting on an asset, this is a great scheme. Mm, I think it's, it's a, brilliant. one that did fly under the radar. Love yeah. the government. Yeah, well, you don't want to yeah, be- we changed our tune. You don't want to be poor in a, in a nice home, do you? Nah. It's like, doesn't make no, sense. It's so common. Yeah, it's, it's very common. Yep. Very, very common. And, and not even um, a nice home. Like, it could be an old home. Yep. But- the land could be worth 1.5 million right. in Box Hill, like so. It, it makes total sense, and um, you know, particularly for me at my age, seeing your parents starting to get a little bit older, it just makes total sense that that they would do something like this. Marty, just a quick one to round out. Just your thoughts on, you know, in in the business, did you see much home builder scheme? I know that was one that was well, kind of talked about yeah, last year, but uh, did you actually see people able to unlock it and use the home builder scheme? Yeah, they did, and I think that's in the in the numbers in regards to you know construction over the course of the year. I think we're at unprecedented levels of approvals and also even values in the construction area. So it's been very good. I mean that that scheme's coming to an end. Um, I think it was fifteen thousand up until December thirty, and then uh, no, no, it was twenty five thousand up to December thirty, and then fifteen thousand. 
from 1st of Jan to uh, April, yep. and I think now pretty much they're, they're stopping it as of 30th of June. But that was great. If you if you did a renovation or a new build construction, you could get 25000 as uh, as long as you were spending that 150 up to 750 and the property couldn't be worth more than $1.5 in total. So, yeah, it was a fantastic scheme. I think it's really fueled uh, a market that uh, – could have stagnated given mm. what was going on in Melbourne, uh, but we're seeing, yeah, that uh, now coming to a close now. But I think that was a really good incentive. Yeah, I just wanted to call that one out because, again, there's those schemes that people hear about on the news and don't really know, oh, should I apply? Can I apply? How does it get used? So it's good to know that people did out did go out and actually utilise that scheme. And yeah. another one we see a bit of, which from super and mortgage side, I'd be interested to know if you've come across it much, is the first home saver scheme where people are dumping money into their super funds as a mechanism to save for their house deposit. Is that one that you've seen used much with clients? I've seen it used, but it's still, I think the awareness around it, it, it could have been used uh, a lot more. Mm. So I think that was one that uh, was available, was a good idea, but uh, probably probably wasn't as uh, wasn't taken up as much as the home builder scheme because I think the home builder was just the, what the smart thing about that was was the renovation I mean you're looking at a pretty extensive renovation of, of 150 mm. grand so you go people were thinking I can put value into my home rather than selling and buying especially um, when you're locked in your home as well you might be looking at the the back deck as an extension correct. and a renovation of the bathroom or bigger kitchen. home office yeah, bigger <laughs> home office we're all working from home so I think that was that was huge and I think the fact that uh, you, you know people were thinking could we use that? Uh, I mean, investment construction, which was not the case, of course, but um, it served its purpose, whereas yeah, the other one wasn't. Uh, I don't know, Nick, you might know a little bit more about uh, that I didn't. Uh, we just we just didn't see a lot of it. Um, and I think I mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but the incentive came out, but no one really knew how the logistics were going to work. Uh, the super companies weren't across it, and we were talking about yeah. first homeowner contribution. So um, – What's happened now, though, from what I understand, is it's it's gone from thirty thousand, which was the limit, to now fifty thousand. So now now it's got more merit. Yeah, a bit more scale. And that's I can do fifty thousand, and my partner can do fifty thousand. I believe so. Yeah, which would make sense because well, maybe need- it was fifteen and fifteen to thirty. Because you probably need a hundred grand for a deposit anyway. Oh, realistically, you so do. If it was fifty and fifty. That would yeah. make a lot of sense. But where it's so beneficial is high income earners. So anyone yeah. that's um, anywhere near that top tax bracket. It's just a great way to get more money into super and, and get a tax saving. So I think if it sticks around, I think it will become um, it'll become more common. But there was so much stuff that came out last year and most people that wanted to get into the market wanted to get in the market quick mm. to make to take advantage of the incentives. Whereas this is a long term thing. So hopefully they leave it. Um, because I think it it is a really good um, it, it is a really good scheme, but it's just something that'll take time for people to get across. Yeah. So let, yeah. let's break down the dynamics. So people can just put their income into their super and then extract it extract it out for the first home. Yep. So they're getting that tax benefit of putting it in exactly and, right as a saving, and then they can draw it back out. So yep. you yep. get a reduced tax um, by the contribution that yep. you put in. You reduce your taxable income, Jace, I believe, yep. Yep. Um, so- and. So you get a tax saving. Um, the other thing is the money is inside the super environment, earning your money at the same yep. time. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a really good incentive, but I just think it'll take time. Yeah. Um, you know, 
particularly we're talking about young people here, right? So most young people aren't across their super and what it can do for them. This is just another spanner in the works. So Yeah, um, and the psychology is I can't get to it is yeah. until I'm older. So there's, there's an yep. education around it yep. Yep. as exactly to the right. flexibility uh, with it. Got a question? Email us. Hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. Guys, that's episode 11. We are back. Same game, bigger numbers. Marty, what did you learn on the show? Well, I thought uh, the government is, uh, just like I said, a fantastic organisation, but <laughs> I think there could be some more innovation there and uh, we will utilise that innovation to best effect because we're about supporting the people with numbers. Nick, what did you take? Um, well, from what I mentioned around um, the pension loan scheme and the downsides of contribution, I think as, as young people understand this stuff because most people in our generation, our parents may or may not be willing to even want to learn about this. So understand it yourself and understand how you can maybe help your parents. Yep. And for me, guys, it was there is a lot of stuff out there that flies under the radar that we don't necessarily have a deep understanding of. So I think it is getting the information that is going to make you have a better financial future personally and in the business and a personal shout out to the accountants out there good luck for the uh, coming tax season well fantastic episode back in season two uh until next time See games week. over